Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Jennifer Nash on the line. Jennifer, how are you? I'm great, Michael. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm really happy to have you on the show and really looking forward to talking about your new book and all this amazing work you do. So for those that uh, aren't aware of what you do, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and then we'll dive into the conversation. Sure. So I am a leadership advisor based in Austin, Texas, and I serve clients around the world, helping them um, empower people to power their organizations. It's amazing work. And I was in Austin last summer um, during the 8 billion days of 100 degree <laughs> plus temperatures. And I knew that going in and I was doing a, a, a keynote talk and I'm like, I always wear a suit. You know, it's just one of the things that I do when I give talks and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to wear a suit in Austin, Texas. Uh, thankfully, you know, the air conditioning and the you know convention center was and working uh yes. so they didn't see you know sweat dripping from my bald head but uh, it was still warm but I, I was really happy to to get out of that suit as soon as i could because it's like yikes it's it's toasty but it was still a fun time austin's a great city and obviously you've seen amazing growth there over the last mm -hmm. few years uh everybody that you know left california went there uh but other, <laughs> other not just california there's other places too but that's that's the running joke with people that I know that are in Austin. It's like, yeah, I've seen a lot of California plates. It's like, yeah, well, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, I understand the reasons. I get it. You know, it's, you know, teach their own. I get it. But, uh, but no, it's, it's a great city and lots of opportunities and growth and everything like that. And, and the food's not bad either. So it's, it's yeah. all good. But uh, yeah, the, the leadership stuff, you know, it's, and especially when you're, you know, helping people around the world, you know, a lot of people think, okay, the, you know, the challenges in different parts of the world would be different, but you're dealing with humans and humans are humans, you know, it doesn't matter what language they speak. There's the, the, the nuances and the challenges and connection issues that we have uh, with each other. And it's uh, amazing work to be able to get people to, you know, you know, quite frankly, to paraphrase in your book, to you know, be human uh, from a leadership standpoint and even from an employee standpoint. So uh, let's dive into the book. So why don't you share a bit about the book? Yeah. Um, so the title of the book is Be Human, Lead Human, How to Connect People in Performance. <clears throat> and the book has an amazing foreword by Alan Mulally, the former uh, CEO of Ford Motor Company. And it has quite a few endorsements from um, Marshall Goldsmith and Dory Clark and Richard Boyatzis and and a few others um, that I was so fortunate to have you know supporting this book from the very beginning. Yeah, it's so you mentioned. Well, let's see, I've had Dory on my show, um, and I had a nice conversation with <laughs> Alan at an event in Toronto in 2018, and mm -hmm. he was leading Ford Motor Company. Uh, when I was in Detroit, so we we talked quite a bit about that that time frame, and mm -hmm. love Alan's leadership style, uh, especially yeah. on the the thing that you know really resonated with me. You know, obviously, I've been following him for a long time. I knew mm -hmm. quite a bit about him. You know, of course, being 
in Motown at the time and in what he was able to do with Ford Motor Company in a very mm-hmm. challenging time was basically giving everybody the permission to tell it like it is. Tell me the yeah. truth. Are we are we losing money <clears throat> in this division or not? And mm-hmm. you know, before, you know, the, the story that he shared, you know, everybody was coming with reports and everything looked great. And he's like, I don't think this is our company, but okay. And then finally someone, you know, had, you know, decided to be brave and said, no, this is what happened. And, you know, we're in the red by this and, you know, he celebrated it. It's like, thank you. And then of course, everybody came next week and the truth came out. It's like, okay, now we know where we stand. Okay. This is where we can start doing the work. Yes. It's, it's, and that's such so many people. And I even had a conversation earlier today uh, with an organization that's having some, well, we'll call it trust issues in the C-suite. Uh, and it's, it's, it's challenging, you know, it's, you know, sometimes people aren't as approachable as you would like them to be. And it, it creates a dynamic where you're afraid to say, yeah, that, that deployment's not going to happen this week. And mm-hmm. it next week's not looking good either. And mm-hmm. uh, we got the fourth coming up. So, you know, what? everybody's mindset's going to be around that. Uh, so you know, we're looking, we're looking mid July before this thing's going to be any good. So and all of a sudden you're like, you know, we're all, you know, we're approaching a month behind on this. All of a sudden that's when the leader's going, okay, you know, we, we got to go about this a little bit differently. And, yeah. but if they don't know, then all of a sudden it's a okay, long weekend's coming up. Right, we'll, we'll drop that email at uh, 4.58 p.m. and <laughs> or, or, or the infamous schedule sent. So we're going to send that at 4.58 and I'm going to, I'm going to go into the car and, you know, peel out of here before that email sends. Not that anybody's ever done that before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know who would do something like that. <laughs> I, I don't even know how the thought even came to my mind. I mean, I'm probably the first person. And it's shame on me for even putting that out there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to tell my editor to take this out. No, no, <laughs> we, we we know the truth. Uh, but again, it's you know with with leadership, and especially you know since the pandemic, and you know, we talked about this a bit in the pre-show about you know how your book you know, was supposed to come out in 2020, and then you thought, no, let's let's wait on this, mm-hmm. and. You're glad that you did because we we saw a lot of different leadership examples that are obviously throughout the book um, of, of things and experiences and, and and things that a lot of the you know the great leaders that you talked with you know experienced or witnessed oh, with the teams that they lead or if they're a consultant like Marshall um, you know you're you're seeing some interesting dynamics of how people were behaving. Uh, during the pandemic. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, the the pandemic was so interesting in so many different ways. I think there were obviously so many, um, you know, heartbreaking stories, you know, of people losing their lives during the pandemic. On the other hand, I think there were some things that came out of the pandemic that were actually good. For example, during the pandemic, um, you know, that had the effect of pulling back the curtain on our lives 
as whole human beings and complex human beings. And so when we got on those initial Zoom calls in March of 2020, and no one had figured out that, you know, maybe there was a blur function on Zoom yet for the background. Um, and people were figuring out, you know, where were they going to be working from home if that was an option for them? And setting up in a kitchen table or setting up in a closet or making a bedroom into a makeshift office, like we saw like the messiness of life come with the people that were on the calls with us and all of a sudden we saw everyone in a different light we saw them as a father or we saw them as a you know a person struggling with childcare at home and we saw all these different facets to people and it made leaders realize that oh my gosh like I, I do have to lead this person who's in front of me. It's not just an employee whose sole value and sole purpose is to provide output for my organization. Here's all these other factors that are going on with them. And leaders had to figure out how were they going to dig deep into that toolbox and find tools that helped them lead in this moment where maybe they haven't had to lead that way before. And I think what happened was many leaders found that um, there weren't a lot of tools in there to lead people. They had many tools to lead profit and performance and productivity and process, but there weren't many tools to lead people. And so my book is an attempt to help leaders equip that toolbox with the tools that they need to lead the human beings and help them, you know, create this environment where everyone can flourish and everyone is performing at their best. Had a conversation earlier today with uh, Gina Malakun Long, who um, also lives in Toronto. We found out, you know, that we both live about twenty minutes apart from each other, which is kind of mm -hmm. weird. Uh, but we were talking about organizations and leaders on understanding who their people are, and you know, with all the different assessment tools. And, and I know you're going to mention. Uh, it, for sure at the end of the show, um, uh, an assessment tool that you have on your website, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of them out there and yes. they're all, they're, they're all, they're all good in that it can help the leader understand who their employees are. Are they introverted? If it's true colors, what color are they? So mm -hmm. what, you know, what, what style works for that employee? And then yeah. as a leader, you adapt yourself when you're interacting with that employee to the style that they are, you don't try to change them say, well, you're, you're introverted, but I need you to be extroverted right now. No, you, you don't have permission to change people. You, right. you change yourself or pivot to be able to communicate in a way that is a natural state for that employee. When you do that, what happens <clears throat> is you have an employee that will in all likelihood better comprehend what you're saying. If they're a visual learner, you present visual. If they're, you know, tactile in person, let's have conversation face to face. Great. If it's send me a WhatsApp. Okay. What whatever whatever makes sense because when you do that, it it's not a stretch for that employee to you know have to comprehend what you're telling them to do. And as a leader, you're leading, you're not doing and i see so many leaders still bring out the doer bag of tools yes. and yes. it's like you you and 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 it's a lot of organizations unfortunately don't give leadership training so in many cases no. or or 
significant training. So mm-hmm. it's often on the leader to do it themselves. And the majority of them, and you know this, don't. So they they don't understand how to lead people. Like you said, you know, the reason for your book, they don't they know how to lead, you know, profitability and make programs work and design and you know project management. They they know all that. They're really good at that. But when it comes to understanding who your team is, what are all their strengths, and put them in those spots that they can thrive in. When you do that, then you have a championship team. The teams that win sporting events and win championships, the coaches and the management knows all of their strengths, and they put them in those places where they can thrive and shine in the role and the contribution they do. That's why you see teams that win championships over and over again. It's it's kind of a system, but they, they know the people. They know okay, this 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 is our go to person. They need yeah. this. They work really well with these two people or these two people on the line. If it's a hockey game or um, if it's a basketball game, okay, we know you know we're gonna you know back in when Dirk was playing for the Mavericks. It's like okay, yeah, here you know we're gonna couple him with these things, and next thing you know you know they got a championship, and it's. But understanding your people is so important. And unfortunately, so many leaders, they, they simply don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I think, I don't think leaders go to work and say, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to understand my people. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, be ignorant of what's important to them and what matters to them. But I think, you know, I talk about this in my book a little bit because I think what's happened is we've been professionally trained to ignore the human element, right? If you think about how how we develop competency and capability in our skill sets, we are taught to focus on the functional area that we're developing expertise in. And we develop technical skill in that functional area. And that is what is rewarded in the workplace whether it's, you know, marketing, whether it's finance, whether it's accounting, whatever functional area you're working in, that's where you develop that expertise. And so, like you mentioned earlier, you know, there's typically about a 10 to 15 year gap between when someone is promoted to a people leader role or a leader of people role and when they, when they are afforded leadership or people leadership training. And so that there's a huge gap there. And what happens is people fill that gap by using the skills that they had in the toolbox to manage projects and tasks rather than manage leading people in hearts. And so developing the competency and the fluency and the human element is just as important. And I would argue it's a technical skill as well. You know, understanding who your people are, understanding what motivates them, understanding what is important to them and what drives them. And when you develop this type of skill set in gathering that data for yourself and understanding how, like you mentioned earlier, you need to adapt your leadership to meet the style of what that person needs from you. That is how you create that environment where people can flourish and people can perform at their best. And like you said, create those high performing teams that win championships. Yeah, it's it's simple, but for many it seems to be challenging. So, in your book, you you said you know you you train people on how to you know be human and lead humans. So, what are some of the, I guess, easy first steps? Because I'm a big fan of, especially when you're trying to implement 
any type of adjustment or change or a way to pivot uh, the way that they're doing something. I'm a big fan of finding the low lying fruit because what happens is it builds some momentum. It's like, okay, I got that. Okay, I got that. I got that. Then they can start, uh, you know, using a Brian Tracy term, eat that frog and really start Mm -hmm. tackling the the really difficult components. But it's like, let's start getting some momentum. So, the leader gets confidence in themselves saying, okay, yeah, I can, I can adjust here and there. And then they can, they see the results of it and they go, okay, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it, it, and it's not as big of a, it's huge, of course, for them to do it, but it's also from my perspective anyway, and love to hear your thoughts on this. From my perspective, it's not as hard as you think. If it's not something either you're currently doing as a leader to mm-hmm. be more, personable you know maybe mm-hmm. introduce a little bit of empathy in in your style because and mm-hmm. i love how you you know, gave that analogy a little while ago about people saw real lives you know people's bedrooms or closets or noisy houses or messy houses or loud dogs or the cat that likes to be on <laughs> screen what it, it yeah. made things real so whenever yeah. whenever i do these interviews and people say, I'm sorry, my kids are here, my kid's sick, or my dog barks at 308 when UPS shows up. <laughs> like it, it, I said, that's life. I want yeah. this to be real. I, yeah. I, I gave a, you know, real quick and I'll let you answer, but you know, I gave a, a training session at an organization that I do some training sessions with and my, the alarm went off in my condo building and uh, here I am giving this presentation. And, you know, thankfully the, you know, in this room, that alarm isn't in this particular room, but it's just outside the door and it mm-hmm. might as well been hooked up to the speaker system because it was loud. <laughs> and I was apologizing. Of course, I'm training and I'm talking. It's not like I can mute and go, you know, yeah, it didn't work. So I had to muscle through that. And of course, it was, there wasn't an actual fire in the building. So you know, mm-hmm. fire, de- fire department knocked on the door because I'm like, okay, I'm hearing a noise like knocking and which is strange. So open up the door and they say, anything going on in here? It's like just a training session. And it's like, <laughs> nothing's on fire in here. Not that I know of. Um, yeah, we can check, we can check with my dog. Hey, you, you let anything on fire? No. Okay. <laughs> but, but long story short, you know, it's so important that, you know, real life happened, but, you know, going back to what I originally asked, you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, from first steps, there's, there's, there's many different first steps that people can take. And I think it depends on where they are in their own personal journey of, you know, leading others. Um, I think, I think one step in general for everyone that's listening could be, you know, often as leaders, we set strategy for our organizations, but how often do we set our own leadership strategy? Have you ever done that for yourself as a leader? And if you haven't, then maybe that's a good place to start, you know? So it's taking a step back and doing some reflection and thinking about how do I lead myself? What are the values that guide my decision-making? You know, who do I want to be and how am I showing up? And if there's a gap between those two, how do I want to fill that? So being intentional about that leadership strategy and leading yourself and understanding what's guiding you and who you are as a leader informs how you show up as a leader and the decisions that you make and how you interact with the people around you. So that could be a good first step. 
I think another first step could be if you want to understand where you are as a human leader, which is how I describe this new paradigm for leadership of, you know, thinking about and practicing leadership for today's workplaces. Um, there's an assessment, like we mentioned on my website, that you can go out and take. It's complimentary, and it's called the Human Leader Index. And that will give you an idea of where you fall on the human leader um, scale. And then, in other words, your starting point, and then where you want to get to. And then you can design a transition plan for how to get there. So it ties into that leadership strategy and leading yourself first. That's a really important assessment. And again, it... it in order for you to be a good leader, you need to be able to lead yourself and have actually a plan. And and uh, again, so many people, and I think they discovered this a bit uh, during the pandemic, was they were living their lives on autopilot and they weren't really yes. thinking about yes. how they did things. There, there was no real intent per se uh, they just kind of went through the motions you get up you get cleaned up you have breakfast you drive to work you do the mm -hmm. work thing you mm -hmm. go home wash rinse repeat and uh, there wasn't much you know thought about it and when people had time even if they were you know on 25 zoom calls a day or anything like that they still had some time to kind of reflect on some things because they were still away from it not only as a yes. leader but your employees they were away from it and that's why you saw you know the great resignation and quiet quitting and all that kind of stuff take off mm -hmm. for a bit and now it's you know it, it's you know evolving and we're going to see how everything lands uh, over the next few years you know of course there's all kinds of other external factors too that could dictate some things but um but i think ultimately it's as i tell people when they ask me okay what's better remote in person or hybrid and i say well my personal again this is personal opinion would be if you can do hybrid awesome if it makes most sense for your company to be in person all the time to help your clients or customers do that if you want to be remote all the time and not have a place to go you need to be really intentional in how that looks and design it. Just say, okay, we're, we're working remote. You need to have that really mapped out, which guess what? You probably should do that for hybrid and in-person too, on how everybody works together, how you communicate, what tools you use, standardization. You, but you create it in such a way where it's easy for everybody to use it the way that they would use things and um it's and it's checking in it's like okay yeah we're going to be remote we're going to use slack okay there might be some people that just cannot stand slack they, they they struggle with it they're not sure how to use it um and it could be okay well let's let's get you trained on how to use slack and and all of a sudden they, it breaks through that barrier for them and then they go okay then they become a slack pro and then they're always on it and you're like enough yeah. Turning off notifications on phone. This is silly. Yeah, it's like I don't need six hundred messages. It's like it's like again, you got to standardize on you know what do you put there, where do you send it. It's just another place to send messages. It's like can we pick like one place? Um, but, and there's tools that'll do that. But it, ultimately, it's still you know just you know understanding where people are and and meet them where they're at and yeah. and set and set them up for success as an employee. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, it's so important as leaders that we, I, you know, I, I often, you know, share with my clients that, you know, as a leader, like we can't, we, we cannot motivate anyone. It, it, if you have like a child or a toddler 
and you've tried to have them do something that they don't want to do and they're not going to do it. It's the same kind of idea that as leaders, we can create the environment that motivates people to bring out their best and drives them to perform. And when we find those intrinsic motivational levers for people that inspire them and light that flame inside them, that is when you get that outstanding performance. That is when you get people going above and beyond. That is when you get people, you know, pledging their undying loyalty, you know, that they'll always work, you know, for this leader because they're such an amazing leader. Um, and so I like to talk, you know, when I'm working with clients, it, it's often a conversation, you know, how do you create this empowering environment for people to perform at their best? And it's a lot around, you know, what Alan did back at Ford. You know, um, I was working there at the time. I was also based in Detroit. So it sounds like we have that in common um, that, you know, Alan created the transparency. You know, he created a culture of accountability. He created an environment that it was safe to admit that either you didn't know or that there was a problem or that, you know, something wasn't working correctly and we needed to come together and work together and find a solution to solve that problem. It wasn't all on your shoulders. It was a team and we were going to work as a team and it was a one Ford. So he, he put all of those cultural um, artifacts in place because those weren't there before before he got there. Um, and I think people needed that because of the environment at Ford at the time was not a healthy environment. And so coming in and changing that dynamic and making it safe and making it okay for people to say they didn't know or that they had a problem was a huge step forward in building trust among everyone and getting people to work together and realize that our collective success was a result of our collective efforts. Yeah, the work that Alan did there was amazing. And you know this, obviously, um, you know, for the auto sector and a lot of other sectors do this too, but mm-hmm. it, it was it was pretty bold of Ford Motor Company to bring in somebody that, you know, wasn't from the auto industry. Because a lot of times it's, you know, they promote within, you know, generous, yes. generous motors. That's my nickname for them because <laughs> uh, three generations of my family worked there. So that was the, that was the nickname for them. Uh, but uh, for GM, you know, for years, it was always, you know, the, you know, and, and still, you know, with Mary leading it, but she's uh, from my assessment doing a, a pretty decent job and have, has had to n- navigate some really challenging times uh, for that organization and, and, and changing a lot of things that were in there since the early days. And it's, it's hard to change the, um, what a ship looks like when it's out to sea, but it, it can be done. Uh, but yeah, yes. the, the work that Ford uh, or the Alan did at Ford was, you know, and he wrote a book about it and, you know, it was well-documented and it's, it's a template for a lot of organizations to look at. And, and your book is definitely a template that people should follow. So Jennifer, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, the book, the assessment and everything else? Certainly. So if people would love to get in contact with me or learn more, they can go to my website, which is www.drdrjennifernash.com. So drjennifernash.com and all of my contact information is there. They can find out more about the book there. Um, They can find the link to take the human leader index, which is the assessment to check on where they fall on the human leader scale. Um, And then they can buy the book at wherever they prefer to buy their books. It's also available on Amazon. 
Awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Jennifer, thank you again for your time. Really loved our conversation. Thank you. I did too, Michael. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.